0: Welcome back to the show. Today we are speaking with Lynn Del Mastro Thompson. Lynn is an energy healer and hypnotist, and she uses the healing systems of body talk and body intuitive. She is also a speaker and author of the Amazon bestseller, You Are Not Your Diagnosis. Lynn holds a master's degree in somatic psychology. And after being misdiagnosed with leukemia at the age of 25, Lynn became passionate about sharing with the world her message That just because a doctor has said an illness is chronic or incurable does not mean that it has to be a life sentence, and that Western medicine isn't the only approach to healing. When we explore other holistic options, true healing, rather than symptom management, true healing can occur. In this episode, Lynn shares her experience of being misdiagnosed with leukemia when she was only 25 years old, and she had to learn to own her power, her choices in her own healing journey. After continually declining in health, yet being told by doctors that the treatment was working and not being given any answers, she had to take her health into her own hands. Lynn learned the power of what she thinks and believes and how big of an impact this is on her health and well-being and how she gets to choose how her mind works to create her health. This is a really powerful episode. If you're somebody who has really been in a space of questioning, is this what I am hearing? Is this my diagnosis? Is this the only option that I have? Because in this time, we are in a time in life where we do question more. We do research more. We do explore more, especially when we are being given a diagnosis like this. So I know you're going to love this conversation. Welcome to the show today, Lynn. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Can you tell everyone where you are from? Yeah. So I live in Arizona, Northern Arizona. <laughs> and we were just chatting a little bit before we got started, but you have a story that I think is incredibly powerful. Before we dive into it, I want to ask you, you, t- your title, energy healer and hypnotherapist. Yes. So a hypnotist. Yes. Different. Okay. So
1: tell us and about They're that. kind of the same, the same. It's just legally some, some places you can not say hypnotherapist if you're not like a licensed mental health therapist.
0: So that's kind okay. of the difference. Okay. Okay. Good to know what let's tell the audience what an energy healer is.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of different kind of forms of energy healing. So I will probably speak more towards what I do. <laughs> and the energy healing that I do is called body talk and body intuitive. And both of these approaches are, um, they're closely related to each other and they look really into the story that our body is telling through what we're experiencing our symptoms, the diagnosis we've been given, you know, things that just don't feel right. Mm-hmm. So while a lot of approaches out there are really about, you know, like, oh, let's, let's get a diagnosis for this. And then we'll put you on the protocol for that. This is more about kind of how, allowing your body to talk to us and to say, like, why did this happen in your life? What's going on? Like I work a lot with women with autoimmune. And if you think about it, it's like, why does the body just start attacking itself? you know, that's not really something that you think would be a helpful thing for our bodies to do. So why is that happening (laughs) to so many women? And the story is, you know, different and the same for a lot of people. So I'm kind of trained to help facilitate because a lot of times people come to me and they're like, I have no idea why this is happening to me. You know, I just know, I don't really want this to be part of my life anymore. I want to feel better. So through listening to that story that the body is telling and then, um, It's kind of through the power of quantum physics, really, like that observer effect. We're observing what the body has to say and then, you know, making some corrections, of course, because if the body's saying, hey, you know, you're like eating all these foods that I really don't do well with and you need to sleep more and you're way too stressed out. We don't just want to hear those things and go, oh, that's nice. Thanks. You know, (laughs) I'm going to keep eating the food that makes me sick or, you know, not working on regulating my nervous system. We hear the story
0: and we make the changes. And that's where the shift really starts to happen. Oh, that is that is really powerful because I actually just came back from an event this weekend and there was a person there who spoke about body talk. And it was fascinating because I was like, okay, that's very interesting to hear. And then as we take that into this piece, I mean, the first thing that hits me was the autoimmune because we know the numbers for autoimmune um, disorders, especially amongst women, is just definitely on a climb. Right. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And, you know, a lot of times, you know, the medical system is kind of like, well, this is just happening. Like, it's just the numbers are rising and there's no like, Well, hmm, that's interesting. You know, go back 100, 150 years ago, there wasn't a lot. I mean, maybe it didn't have a label, but there weren't a lot of people with this group of symptoms where the body is attacking itself. So what is precipitating all of these changes in our health? And that's, you know, where I I get really curious, because it's like, this isn't just how our bodies are supposed to function, our bodies are supposed to maintain health and well being. So if your body starts attacking itself, there has to be a reason. It's not just attacking itself.
0: Like, oh, wake up one morning. I think I'll just start attacking my (laughs) own tissues. Oh, this is fascinating. And of course I could turn this into a whole personal conversation, but I'm not going to, but it's definitely (laughs) like autoimmune. It's interesting because I had a back surgery two years ago and I have a a titanium throughout my spine now. Since then, the number of allergies that I have like developed and not like, ooh, allergies, irritation, serious allergies has been so surprising. It's actually just, it's, and I finally said to my doctor, do you think that there's a connection? And even her answer was knowing you, yes, there probably is. I don't know what it is or how to explain it, but your body is, your body's not happy right now. Like it's definitely not happy. And it's just interesting when we start to see this. So can you just give, even if it's a generic um explanation, I would love to know, like, what do you see in a body talk session that would maybe clear something up or point you in a different direction? Like what kinds of things can you uncover in a session?
1: Yeah, totally. So I'm um, a lot of the the things to do with health problems, chronic health problems, especially has to do with trauma we've experienced. Mm -hmm. So autoimmune, especially like one of my teachers has pointed to, she always sees like birth trauma in a lot of clients. And that's something often we don't always even know, right? You know, because how many of us, unless your mom likes to go on and on about, you know, oh, my labor was so hard. Most people don't really know how their experience of coming into this world was. And if it was traumatic for you or mom, that actually, you know, or if something happened even in the first week or so of your life that was traumatic, the body doesn't know at that point the difference between self and other. Mm -hmm. We're still developing our immune system in those first few weeks outside of mom's womb. And so, you know, something happens and then the body starts to get confused. So that is one of the things that's really fascinating. And then trauma is beyond that time in our life, right? It's not just something happened at birth and, and maybe you didn't have a particularly difficult birth, but something happened in your childhood or, you know, in your 20s or, you know, at some point in your life, you went through some trauma. And oftentimes, you know, unfortunately in our society, we just don't know how to really address and heal trauma. A lot of times it's like, oh, just move on, you know, like... Or people will say, why you're still
0: upset about that? You know, like just get over it. It, it, that is actually, it's sadly very true and does happen a lot. And I know just even these last six months, I've had a number of guests on talking about trauma. Like it's definitely something we're talking about more. And for many years, you know, if you think about it, um, I'm 52. I, we have a, a number of. I mean, how many traumas over the years have we just pushed down and kept going?
1: Right. So
0: it's great that we're talking about it, but we're also dealing with a generation that didn't talk about anything. Exactly. And so it's not as simple as talk about it or move on or why are you still holding on to that? So all of those pieces of conversation make it really hard for people to show up and share.
1: Right. Yeah. Because it's not really been, especially like you're saying, in in a certain time period, it was not acceptable. You know, it's like, oh, certain things you don't talk about with strangers, you know, don't share personal laundry, dirty laundry with people, like keep that quiet, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think there's some shift in terms of, you know, people being more willing to talk about those areas that are scary or hard or, you know, difficult. But, you know, if you grew up in a certain time period, that's probably not something than, you know, most
0: people are comfortable doing. No, I could not agree more. And I mean, if you tie that into the book "The Body Keeps the Score," I love that in the sense that our body is always holding on to like things we're not processing and we're not dealing with, we're not moving through, um, regardless of how big or small that is, right? Because it's all in the perception of the person. And the experience that they had. We can't look at someone else's trauma and think, like, why are they so upset by that? It's not even that big. It's that's completely out of context. Right. But our body continually holds so much of this trauma.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Our bodies are kind of like these warehouses of trauma and, and emotions as well. Like that's kind of an adjacent topic of, you know, if you're not really very good about you know, expressing your emotions and allowing them to move in the way that they're really designed by our biology, they get stuck in the body too, right? So then we're walking around with trauma and, you know, here's some anger over here. Here's some grief over here. here, You know, no wonder we don't feel so good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a sandwich, isn't it? It becomes a sandwich of all the things that we just don't, like, they're not serving us, but we also don't always know what to do with them.
1: Exactly. And and I think that's one of the problems too, is a lot of approaches out there don't, you know, don't, fully address it. And I think they're, you know, I don't want to discount things like talk therapy. I think it has its place and its use. But from a lot of the reading that I've done and just witnessing with clients, it doesn't always move the trauma or get rid of the emotion. Like you can talk about something from a intellectual standpoint, you know, and, and process it and like, oh, I know this thing happened and, you know, I should... Work through it and move on, but your body can still be stuck in whatever happened and it still thinks, you know, the world isn't safe and talking about it isn't going to change your, your brain from thinking, Oh my God, the world isn't safe. I need to, you know, have my nervous system be on guard all the time.
0: No. And it's so interesting when you say that because it makes me think like, again, there's like, there are so many different kinds of therapy support and treatment. And I always encourage people to like, if one didn't work, that doesn't mean that all therapy of any kind doesn't work. Exactly. And it's an easy thing to fall into. When we found ourselves in a crisis situation in our family, I did do a few appointments of like a talk therapy. And for me personally, that was not helpful because I didn't, I wasn't in a crisis situation and I wanted actionable support with how to move and create change, not just talk about it, which that's just me. And I found a couple of crisis counselors that were the best thing in the world. They were the absolute best things in the world because we were able to come up with actionable things. So it's trying to find and encouraging people to keep going if you can't find the f- support the first time.
1: Exactly. Yep. And I think that goes, you know, you can extend that out to all kinds of healing things because I've heard people say, you know, well, I've tried X and I've tried Y and I've tried Z and maybe they helped a little, but I'm still not where I want to be or that did nothing. It's like there are so many things out there. And I think that's part of, you know, unfortunately, it's not an easy path to walk the healing path at times because nobody gives you a roadmap and your roadmap would probably look completely different than somebody else's. Yes, but you know, if we're not willing to keep trying things, then we're not going to change. We're not going to heal we We need that ability to just say, "Okay, well, that didn't work, but that doesn't mean nothing is going to work. nothing is going to help me. There's something out there,
0: yeah, what a great point. I love that, and you said earlier about. When our nervous system is not in a calm state or how can we get it to a state that supports us more, right? So if we are in a very, I'm going to leave that with you. Could you just explain a little bit more um, about our nervous system and how to recognize when we're not in our, in a state that supports us the best?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we kind of have two main branches of our nervous system. And some people may be familiar, some might not. So I'll kind of give a little okay. overview. Um, So we have the fight or flight or the sympathetic branch of the nervous system. And then we have some people call it the rest and digest or the relaxation mode and the parasympathetic. And you can't be in both, right? It's just like you can't drive a car with your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. So I like the analogy too of gas pedal and brake for these two things. Cause being in, in the um, fight or flight is kind of like having your foot on the gas pedal all the time. So you're, you're just constantly things are happening really fast. It just feels like everything is overwhelming to you. And then when you're in the other mode, you're, you know, it's like being, having the brake on. And we can't live our life completely with the brake on or we would never go anywhere, right? So we have to be able to kind of switch back and forth. But from kind of an evolutionary standpoint, that fight or flight is designed for a very specific thing. So it's designed like pretend you are living, you know, in a time where you lived on the land and there were wild animals all around, right? So your nervous system is constantly like your ears are t- tuning in. Oh, is that the sound of like some some bushes rattling and rustling? Do I need to get ready, you know, to defend myself? And those situations were very short-lived, right? Like there would be a wild animal maybe that would come along and you'd have to run for your life or maybe you couldn't run for your life and you'd have to fight that animal off. And usually that was like a time-limited thing, right? Maybe 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, like short. And then your body, after that was over, assuming, you know, you happily survived that situation, your body starts to calm down and you go into the other mode. But the problem is, for most of us, we're stuck in that mode by things that aren't what, are, what it's meant to be dealing with. So, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic. Your boss is being a jerk, you know, like your kids are stressing you out. All of these things. We're not really running for our lives, are we? No, like I no. feel like sometimes we want to run away, but we're, we're not like running away from the situation. We're not usually fighting. Um, So our body, we're usually sitting, you know, in a situation like you're sitting in your car and you get all triggered and then your body has nothing
0: to do with that energy that gets released. Mm. And then it's almost stuck. It's, and I love how you said it in a sense there, because for the most part, we're responding in that way as though we are being chased, as though something is actually threatening us. And it might not be, but then I've also read a lot in how that response, we become addicted to that response. And I would love if you want to share anything on that. Yeah,
1: definitely. I've read some of that information too. And I find it really fascinating. It's like our our biochemistry gets addicted to certain chemical cocktails. So, you know, we get addicted to like the cortisol pattern and, you know, all of those, the adrenaline and the noradrenaline that are making us ready to run. That's probably why some people are kind of those adrenaline junkies because it feels good in their body. I don't like those feelings, but, you know, some people just love that. And so you then you kind of create more of those situations in your life, even not at a conscious level always. But it's like, oh, well, how can I get more of that feeling? You're just habituated to it which yeah. is kind
0: of a crazy thing to be habituated to. It is, but I guarantee you, I mean, if you're listening to this and if you find this a little bit triggering, or if you find it something that maybe is reflective, like just look and see where, because I I know I was that person. I was a hundred percent like at the adrenaline of, you know, put me in a tight situation. I can figure it out. And then all of a sudden there's this stress amplify that's not even necessary, but it just became something that I would continually be in a position of. And it's funny because I've done, um, I've just finished my master's of NLP. So I've done a lot mm. of work with um, time techniques and, and um, hypnotherapy. And it's really, it's helped me in ways I was not expecting, but yesterday I got cut off by a car to the point that I had to drive up onto a curb and Ooh. just the telephone pole And like the instant anxiety was like, Oh my God. Like I, like I literally just missed it. And as soon as I was able to come off the curb, I pulled over and then just gave myself a second because I was like, okay, I couldn't stop. The intensity was very high. Right. And it was like, you know what? I mean, old me probably would have been honk, honk, honk forever and (laughs) doing.
1: Right, <laughs> and Cursing that person out. I didn't curse, just to be real. I,
0: I did hurt because I just about missed the pool. Well, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> didn't even phase them, right? They kept going. But it was interesting because I sat there for about five minutes and literally went right into some breathing and went, okay, this could have been 10 times worse. Like this could have been much worse than what it was. And was able to kind of talk myself down, even though my body wanted to stay up in this anger space. So I think it's really fascinating well, how our reaction is actually telling us a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep, it
1: makes a lot of sense what you just you know described from kind of how our bodies respond, hmm. and you know things that trigger us. Like I, I have some accident, re- car accident related PTSD from an accident back in 2010, and my husband and I took a trip last month, and unfortunately, we were in a place where people are even more aggressive with their driving, and I was trying to get on the freeway, and I should have just known like. Yeah, this is not like I I'm not okay with driving on a freeway in this situation, but I tried and I got on and I had it immediately get off and it was fascinating to me because I felt like this feeling of I am going to die. And even though my logical mind was like You know, nobody was going to like rear end me in that moment. It was just like, there was just too much going on, too much stimulation. And having witnessed what I saw the day before on the road when he was driving, my body was just like, nope, 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 not safe, not safe. Get off the road immediately.
0: Mm, Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And for also just recognizing like how fast you made a decision to say, no, this is not what I want to feel. And this is not the environment that I want to be in. So somebody who is listening to this and they are maybe having this moment of like, Ooh, that is me. Actually. I do respond a lot that way. What would you recommend for them? If they are a person who spends a lot of time in that fight or flight energy?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's tons of ways to start to work with your nervous system. Some of them are free, you know, like you can go on YouTube and look up like breathing exercises and there's a zillion of them. And, you know, if you don't like one, it's free, you know, so don't move on to the next one. Try something else. I like the Wim Hof ones on YouTube. I find that that's a really interesting way of doing um, some breath work. And I've actually even got my husband sometimes doing it along with me now. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Anything that we can do to kind of assure our bodies that we're safe. So sometimes it's even just talking to ourselves. Like in that moment for me, when I had to get off the road and I pulled over, you know, we got off the freeway and I pulled over. And I just was like, okay, it's okay. You know, you're, you're safe. Like you're, there was no accident. I just had to come into the present moment. I actually used a tool that I have that's kind of like a brain integration, um, from. I think it's comes from brain gym originally mm-hmm. and it's kind of helps get the brain so that because usually when we go into a trauma response, kind of the two hemispheres of our brain disconnect from each other and they're not talking so well, you know, so if we can get our brain to like reintegrate, it's like, oh, okay. And I could feel as I sat there and just held my hands and my feet in a certain position. It was like, okay, there we go.
0: I'm starting to calm down. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Now, as you, as you share all of this, like, obviously your story, I shouldn't say obviously, but I do know your story, your story led you into the work that you're doing now, which is what happens a lot, right? A lot of people, we, we become the solution that we wished we would have had
1: exactly 100% i've been interviewing a lot of women kind of about their healing journeys and you know they've often become like a healer or a helper and it's so interesting you know and how our paths take us to where we're meant to be which was not the path i was pursuing when you know when i went through what i went through
0: isn't that funny in the sense that ironic that it's not the path that like if we think of it logically it's like no i wouldn't have chosen that but that's the path that i had which has now led me to here Exactly. Yeah. So I would love it if you would share some of your story that led you to doing the work that you do today.
1: Yeah. So I'll kind of rewind back. I was in my 20s. I was pursuing a PhD in history. So again, completely different career path. Thought I wanted to be a professor. (laughs) Looking back on it, you know, I think I was just more scared to like quit school and become a grown up, which to some people probably would be the opposite, right? Like going mm-hmm. to grad school sounds awful to me. It sounded like, oh, that sounds better than getting a job. <laughs>
0: <Where are you? laughs> so
1: I'm in this program for about three years. And for those three years, I had been actually really miserable.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: as I got into my program and I was like, I don't know. I feel like I was dropped in the wrong place. You know, I, I just, I watched as my fellow students, fellow grad students were like, oh, I'm so happy. I love this. This is great. You know, I'm really interested. And I was like, I don't really feel like I'm in the right place. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't listening to that. And then my body started to kind of talk to me. And so first I just started having like anxiety. I started feeling depressed. Um, I started getting more migraine headaches, which I had put in check when I was in college. And I kept telling myself this silly story when these things would happen. I would say, Oh, you know, you're in grad school. You're not supposed to be happy. You're, it's supposed to be stressful. You know, like what a bunch of BS. Right. <laughs> you know, but that was the frame that I was seeing the world through. And I was just justifying this. So we're three years into this and I'm, you know, just kind of writing these things off and I'm scheduled for elective surgery. I'm scheduled for a breast reduction. So nothing wrong health-wise, just something I'm choosing to do. And the night before the surgery, I get a phone call. And it was the phone call that basically changed everything. The surgeon said, I can't, I I don't think I can do this surgery. There's something with your pre-op blood work that looks abnormal. And he did have me check it again, you know, just to make sure the lab hadn't made a mistake or, you know, those things happen. Uh, but it wasn't. And so he canceled my surgery. And basically, that was the start of this two-week journey of like, I have no idea what's going on because all he says is, I can't do surgery. Go see your primary doctor. That's so you're left with, you know, and it probably wasn't his place really to say, but, you know, what a thing to be left with at night when nobody can tell you what they're seeing. So go to see the primary doctor. He runs more tests. I get a phone call out of the blue from another doctor who I've never met And he says, how are you doing? And I'm like, this is again, highly abnormal to get a phone call from a doctor you don't know. I I don't think I've met another person on the planet who can say they've experienced that. And he said, you know, if you don't have any symptoms, come to the hospital in the morning and I'll meet you there. And if you have symptoms, come to the hospital immediately. And again, I'm just like completely like, in shock. So I don't even think to ask what uh, the question that, you know, looking back would be the logical question. What kind of symptoms should I be watching out for doctor? You know, I was just like, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <It's> not- <laughs> you know, like flabbergasted, the like brain just completely, you know, shut off in the ability to think any logical question. So I spend the whole night, like just, you know, constantly like, was that a symptom? Was that a symptom? You know, but nothing comes on. So I go to the hospital. He meets me there and they start doing all of these tests. And finally they say, well, we think you've clotted off the veins that drain your liver. And I was like, "Uh oh, that sounds really bad. Like that shouldn't happen, right? And he said, but we don't know why. So we had to figure out why. And then we have to figure out what to do to open them. So they try to run some, some tests. They try to do a bone marrow biopsy in that hospital. Um, couldn't do it because it was too painful. And all I was given was just this numbing local injection, which was a whole other story of just trauma that I was subjected to kind of needlessly. They finally transfer me to another hospital because I'm living in California in a smaller city. And they're like, we've never done this process to open up the liver veins. So we don't want to practice on you. And I was like, well, thank you. I appreciate that honesty. (laughs) I'd like to go somewhere where they've done this, you know, multiple times. So they transfer me. They do that process. They finally do another bone marrow to get more information. And finally, they come up with a diagnosis. So this is like 10 days into this whole nightmare. And they said, we think you have chronic myelogenous leukemia. And as I can see from your reaction, hearing the word leukemia, like probably anybody listening to this would be terrified
0: to hear that. Of course. Of course. I mean, I I can't even imagine just... I I'm even just feeling your energy in that 10 days of just like what's happening here, what is going on and so much waiting and then to hear, um, leukemia. So what, what happened next for you then? So
1: I, after all of the kind of fear and the panic and the, am I going to need chemotherapy and like all of the racing thoughts, I still can remember all the things that flew through my brain and probably about a minute's time span after that word of leukemia. Mm -hmm. um, And I was told, you know, we don't have to do chemo. We're just going to put you on this medication. That's actually a newer medication that's supposed to target what the underlying cause of this leukemia is. They sent me home and then you're kind of left with this like, okay, well, you know, we'll monitor you. You take this medication, like you kind of feel like a bomb just went off in your life yeah. and nobody's like giving you like any direction of like, okay, what now? Like, am I supposed to go back to
0: school? Am
1: I, Like, what am I supposed to do with my life?
0: Oh, that's such and at this point you're 24 years old, 25 years old? Twenty-five. Yeah. So like that's like that's a lot. If I just invite the listeners to go back to 25 and just think of like I can even think of my own life at that point. Like that would have been such a big thing to try and process.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know, they didn't really nobody suggested, hey, why don't you talk to a therapist, you know, about this. A few months later, all I was offered was, oh, we have like a um, support group for cancer patients. And I remember like feeling what I felt in that moment was I knew, I don't know if I knew the word empath, but I knew that I was something that was like an empath. And I thought, oh, hell no, there's no way I'm going to go to a support group. No, like to hear people talking about going through chemotherapy, uh ah, this is not going to help me. This is going to like sink my ship.
0: Well, and it's such a like, there's an observation for sure. And then as an empath, it like people who are in that energy of being an empath. Ooh, how do I say this? The medical system is. <laughs> like it's torturous, yeah, like just not, it's not conducive to a person who is, um, an empath and very feeling in a sense. I was in a situation once where, um, long story, but we ended up having a miscarriage and, um, my family doctor called and said, you're going to get a call from the surgeon this afternoon. They think it's cancer And I'm like, what? Like, I'm trying to even process what has happened. And she said, take your husband. And I mean, he came, I'm, I have a science degree. This is my, like i my wheelhouse. I still couldn't remember half of what they said that day. And as I I sat there, all I could hear was cancer. And they were like, okay, so we'll go home and we'll call you in eight weeks when we know. And I'm like, what? Like you just, (laughs) it's such a, it's such a a whirlwind when you're trying to process something right. and the medical system does have to be somewhat matter of fact because they don't get emotionally involved in every case. Right. but That's really hard for the client, right? For the patient, right. just exactly. like, oh, what do I do with this now? I don't know what to do.
1: Right. And that's, I started to kind of at that point sink under it. So I kind of tried to resume life. I was struggling a bit. And then the next year I had this other trauma, my best friend died. Oh. And that was like, you know, if my life was in kind of shambles before that was just like, okay, now the nuclear bomb went off. Like oh. I, I just, I got so depressed at that point. I just remember like mm-hmm. lying in bed most days I stopped eating um regularly. I was like skipping this medication they put me on. Cause it made me really sick mm-hmm. when I would take it, you know, I would like get nauseous. And like, all it was kind of like chemo in a pill really. So I had yeah. all of the wonderful chemo side effects, just not going to the chemo room. And I was just, I was sinking, I was sinking and sinking. And just, I kind of remember thinking at that time, like, wasn't like I was going to actively try to kill myself. You know, I wouldn't like take a bunch of pills. I wouldn't, you know, slip my wrists. but I was just kind of like, maybe if I just disappeared from this world, it would just be better. Like I, I don't know how to do this anymore.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing that and for being open and vulnerable. Because I think that it's it's almost it's difficult to not hit a moment like that when you're going through something like this with no change in direction, show it, right? Nothing. So where, what, when did something change in your story? And I know you're a big advocate of like being the hero of your own health journey. So I just love to know, when did something change for you?
1: Yeah. So it was kind of when I hit that down moment, when I was in that dark place and I spent a few months kind of struggling and my parents kept saying, you need, we know you need help. Like, this is just too much, Lynn. Like, you know, you need to get support. Finally hit rock bottom. And I went into an inpatient mental health facility for about five days. And it was, I remember this moment in that therapy session that I had one day and I, I was like, Oh my God. I don't think I really want to die. I just have no idea. Like I, I'm like in this sea of just overwhelm and yeah. I don't even have like a flotation device. You know, I'm just like drowning here and nobody's helped me. And it was like, well, maybe if I actually find things, maybe if there's some tools and resources that I have, like I don't actually want to die. I just want to learn how to function in this and and hopefully come to the other side of it. Like initially it was just like, how can I like manage this? And then eventually as I got better, it was more like, oh, how can I get to a place where I feel great
0: mm. and healthy? So that five days um, sounds like it was an incredibly important time for you.
1: It was, even though I went in kicking and screaming, you know, like it, it took everything in me to, to agree to go. Cause I was just like, I think I felt thinking back on it, you know, to go into an inpatient facility, you kind of feel like, oh my God, am I a crazy person? Or, you know, there's so much stigma attached to mental health. Mm -hmm. But it was like, what else am I going to do at that point? I had nothing. And once I had that epiphany, you know, they didn't know how long they were going to have me there, but I kind of turned a corner pretty quickly because it was like, oh, okay. Like light bulb moment here, something needs to change. The therapy, I think, really did help me at that point because I I did have the ability to start talking about what I went through. Mm-hmm. But then I started to realize, like, that wasn't enough, you know. So I got out of that, that program. I had a therapist that I was seeing um, multiple times a week, but it was like I'm so stressed out, and this is where kind of the nervous system piece started to show up for me. I was like, I'm anxious. I have like, you know, like talk about just being heightened all the time. I was like, what could help me? And I remembered when I was a teenager, I had gone to something called biofeedback for my migraines. Mm. And if people don't know what that is, I'll just kind of give a little yeah. description. So basically they hook you up to different sensors. They measure your heart rate, your breathing, um, your skin temperature, things like that. And you see it on a computer screen in real time. So it's really kind of cool because you're like sitting there in the chair and you can watch, you know, oh, I take a breath. That's what happens when I take a breath. Wow. And this person started to teach me, you know, if you breathe in this way, you can actually, like we all think, Oh, I can't control my heart rate. You actually can indirectly through your breathing control your heart rate. You know, you can control things like how, how warm your hands get, how sweaty your palms are. Cause that's a sign of being in fight or flight. Our palms get sweaty usually. So all of these indicators, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I actually can have some control here over my body, which just felt like it was just kind
0: of had run away from me in this whole experience. Wow. All of that. Wow. Like I just, I think that is so powerful. So as you started to really dive in, understand your own nervous system response, understand how to regulate it better, what changed or what happened next in your health?
1: I just started to realize, like, I think I realized in that, and then I started to go to this yoga for healing class that my therapist pushed me to. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started to realize my body was not an enemy. So, you know, when you get sick and I hear this from a lot of people, Mm -hmm. it can feel like your body's the enemy, right? Like it betrayed you. It let you down. It failed. Like how many words do we use to describe when we get sick? And I was like, Oh no, like, no, no, Lynn, that's not true. Like your body was doing the best it could. It was probably doing the best it could for a lot of years when you were like, oh, you know, anxiety is normal because you're a graduate student. And, you know, I learned I had like this reintroduction to my body and that I could have a conversation with it. It wasn't just things happening in my body. It was like, oh, and if I do this thing, I can actually start to make myself feel better. Oh, I'm really anxious. What can I do to calm myself back down?
0: That's fascinating because I know that that will relate to so many people. We all have moments in our life where it feels like our body is the enemy. It's not doing what we want. It's not responding in the way that we want. We feel like we're in this constant fight with our own physical bodies. Exactly. And that is, yeah, I th- I know that a lot of people relate to that. I 100% do. I've had moments where it's like, what, <laughs> why <laughs> are you acting this way? And I get so angry, especially it's easy for me to fall into where I will look and see other people who are completely like misusing their body. And I mm-hmm. think and you, you feel fine. Like, how would you feel fine?
1: But right. it, You're eating all this crap. You're drinking lots of alcohol. Yeah. You don't exercise. And it's like, I treat my body like a temple and I'm still like struggling.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's a very slippery slope for me when I fall there because victim mindset can follow really fast afterwards. And so yeah, I definitely get used I get, um, that's a red flag and I catch myself in that space. But we also know if we're in a space of believing that our body is the enemy, then it's, it's not, it's not supporting our body. It's not supporting our mindset. It's not helping us. Right, it's not creating those conditions for, you know, healing to actually happen. We're just kind of yeah. in a battle with ourselves. Yeah, so as you started to go through this, was there a point when you started to learn more about your leukemia diagnosis?
1: Yes. So kind of through about a 3 year period, I was very baffled kind of what was happening because I would go to my hematologist, he would run this lab to see if the medication was working. And he would say it was. And at the same time, in the beginning, especially, I started to, before I found these other tools, I was declining. So before my friend's death, even, I had lost this incredible amount of weight. Like I went down to from, you know, being slightly a little overweight to being very underweight. And it was very puzzling to me, you know, that he kept saying this medication is working And I kept having these weird interactions with him where he would ask me how I would feel. I wasn't one to sugarcoat it. Like sometimes people do. I would tell him I don't feel well. I'm like worried. Why, you know, why am I losing weight? Like those kinds of things. And his response was always, you look great, which was the most bizarre response that I could be given to that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was very, very damaging, really, to be, you know, told something that I knew was not true. Like some people, you know, hearing in certain circumstances, oh, you look great, might feel good. But to a person who's like, I know I look like a human skeleton and people in my life are saying, we're really worried. Like, you look like you've lost too much weight. Mm-hmm. To have your doctor say to you, you look great. You're like, what? Excuse me? I don't understand.
0: hmm that can really mess with, I, I know people who have gone through it and experienced not yours, but very much where they were not healthy as they were losing their weight, yet medical professionals were still saying, but you look great. Right. And it really set up a negative spiral of emotions, right? Right. Okay. Totally. Wow. So you're going through this, you're losing a lot of weight. What happens next? So for about three years, I was
1: asking continually or regularly for a new specialist. And I kept being told by my primary doctor that this guy was great. He went to medical school with him. Trust him, he was the best in town. And so I was stuck because I knew in my gut, I'm like, something is definitely not right. Like this makes zero sense, but nobody was listening to me. Like I could well have been screaming and they were like, oh, okay, well, you look great. <laughs> you know, it's bizarre. So it took me kind of getting to the point where I was healthier because of all the other things I started doing for myself. And I got to the point because I had insurance insurance through my graduate school program, which at the time basically meant nothing once you were done with grad school unless you got a job. Mm -hmm. So I had to get to the position where I could get a job so I could get health insurance, which was so frustrating because I didn't want to be in my program anymore, but I needed the insurance. Mm -hmm. So I finally got to that place. I got a job. I got different health insurance, got a different primary doctor, and I asked her for a referral. And she said, sure. And she writes me a referral to somebody else. I go see him with my stack of three-inch thick papers of medical records. He flips through them, and he proceeds to say, yeah, I don't think this is chronic myelogenous
0: leukemia. Okay. So this is without even blood work. This is one of the first things he says to you.
1: He's just looking through all of the blood work from that I brought. Cause I brought like everything I had. I mean, I used to have this big file folder of like every lab and you know, everything that I kept because I actually had another experience where I tried to go back to the hospital that they had diagnosed me at to see somebody as an outpatient, got there. They opened the file folder and it's completely empty. And I'm like, I was in your hospital for like, six, seven days at least, and you have an empty folder and you know nothing about me. How does that even happen?
0: It it does happen. I, I can say I know it happens. It's interesting because you're sharing like one of the pieces that you are sharing without saying it, I just want to reiterate and share for others is the fact that like the personal responsibility of your own information and doing your best to like be your own advocate I just, I don't really think it matters where you live and right. who your doctor is or what you're going through. Learning to get to that space of being your own advocate is so incredibly important.
1: Very much so. And that's, yeah, definitely something I'm always passionate to say because, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of course they're overworked, you know, they're overwhelmed and, and things happen and, yeah. you know, who knows why that file folder was empty, you know, but I was like, Okay. I finally got myself to another specialist. I am not going to miss the boat on this one. Like he is going to have any piece of information I possibly have for him to look at. I will bring it. It's not going to be digitally sent to him. (laughs) Like I am hand carrying it,
0: baby. It is here. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. So you hear that you might not have chronic uh, leukemia and what happens next? Um, there was definitely first just the
1: wash of emotions, like relief, like, Oh my God, somebody finally listened to me. Like, what have I been saying for three years? Anger. Cause it was like, how, how did it possibly take this long? And, you know, just then kind of a little bit of like, well, what does this all mean? Confusion and just, just a little bit lost. But he confirmed that, you know, he couldn't say that day, of course, more tests, that's always how it works, (laughs) more tests. And he confirmed what he believed, you know, to be true, which was it was not leukemia, it was a different blood disorder. And as soon as that kind of happened too, you know, it completely changed things because I stopped taking the medication that was just giving me constant nausea that made my life miserable for three years. (laughs) I got on a different medication, which had like no real side effect, but it was actually addressing the underlying problem. And then I started getting another treatment that they needed to do um, that just it was like, oh, wow, like this is much, much better. I can all of the things I'm doing now can like magnify even more because I'm the underlying support, you know, from the medical system is actually correct, not incorrect,
0: I just, sorry, it blows me away because I often wonder how many people are taking the wrong medications for something that isn't a problem and that it's having side effects that their body is trying to deal with the side effects of medication that they don't even need in the first place. And that is just, that's sad. I'm sorry. That's very, that's a, I feel frustrated for you. So as you went through that and you started, how fast did you start to notice improvements?
1: I think it was within probably a couple months. I was like yeah. doing a lot better because, you know, again, like weight started to return to my body. Um, You know, I I just started to notice that other things that were not in balance in my body because of, you know, being underweight and all of these medications that I was taking, they started to kind of rebalance. And it was like, oh, and I had started to have better energy and, you know, things because I was getting the right support. I wasn't walking around basically with blood that was way too thick that my body was constantly working so hard to, uh, you know, if you have to pump really thick blood, it puts a strain on your body.
0: Of course it does. Of course it does. Wow. So over the next few months, you start to feel better. You start to feel like you're making progress. And when does that start to lead you? Like, how did you take that leap from being there to where you are now? Because as you just said, you, you know, you were, following your job because it gave you benefits which i mean you're not alone in that case and then all of a sudden it's like wait i don't want to do this anyways i don't need this like i don't have this health issue that i thought i did what were some of the next steps that brought you to do the work you do now
1: yeah so i remember kind of as that all unfolded and as i as i even just got that job you know and and these other things started to help me I started to get curious about like, oh, with what I'm learning, like what what could I do? Because I was seeing these tools were so helpful to me. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: started, I think the first moment was I was in a biofeedback therapy session and I kind of thought, wow, when I feel better, maybe one day I can sit in that other chair and help somebody like do this thing, you know, like I could... Do that. And then I remember being in the yoga class and she started talking about, I'm going to start teaching this. You know, I have a training coming up to, if you want to learn how to teach therapeutic yoga. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really awesome because this has changed my life too. So I, I went back to school to get a master's degree in uh, somatic psychology at, around Ooh. that time. And cause I, I was very convinced. I was like, I wanted to incorporate the body. I wanted to understand the connection between the mind and the body. Because to me, the mind was not enough to just understand things from. It had to be kind of a, a dynamic relationship because we're not, we don't just have a something that cuts us off at the neck and, you know, we're one part from the neck up and the rest of us is, you know, ignored by certain systems.
0: It's so true. That's so true. And I I just find it fascinating because as you've just explained it there like master's degree in somatic psychology. Like that that's fascinating to me because I think I've learned so much over the last few years about how like the the body and mind are not separate. Like they're they're not separate and how the body responds is so important to look at. Like what are the thoughts that are happening? What is what's the experience? What's the trauma you keep replaying?
1: Right. Yeah. And you know, and the thoughts you think affect your biology. It affects your your neurochemistry and your hormones. It's like uh, it's it's so interconnected. So if we think we can just talk, you know We can just talk about our problems to a therapist, but we don't pay any attention to the body. Again, that's kind of missing a key piece.
0: It's a huge piece. And it's like on this show, we talk a lot about, you know, owning your choices and taking like personal responsibility for yourself. And I have a second podcast called Everybody Holds a Story. And the reason that podcast came to be was because prior to my back surgery, I started to recognize that it's not as simple as like, let's just think new thoughts, and we can create change in our story. Some of us store a lot of trauma in our body. And that was the really that I was the, the client when I started to recognize that we can't just talk about making a different choice, because our bodies are holding on to a lot more than we realize.
1: Hmm. Yep. That's mm-hmm. kind of they're like the warehouses of just everything we've been through, and and that's oftentimes you know where we get the pain out of nowhere. Like that was that was actually how I found Body Talk. Was I just developed a pain in my knee, and I was like, what the heck is this? Like I didn't hurt myself. I didn't like bump into anything. I just woke up one morning and my knee was like excruciatingly painful. <laughs>
0: No, I totally understand. So this is what you do full time now, working with clients with body talk and with, um, hypnotherapy or as a hypnotist. Mm-hmm. What can you explain from your perspective how the process of hypnotherapy has supported clients?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the way I use hypnotherapy and the way I've been trained is really, about creating new beliefs. So we have our old, you know, disempowered beliefs and our old stories that don't help us. And the way I use it is very health focused. So, you know, people don't come to me because they want to make more money and use <laughs> hypnosis. It's like, I I want to work on my health. So what I found and the reason that I added hypnosis in the past year to my business is people were saying to me, like, do you think this can work for me? Do you, you know, and I had some clients who would ask that almost every single energy session I would do. And I was like, yes, I think it can work for you, but I think we have a problem here. Do you think this can work for you? And if you don't think this can work for you, well, you know, then it's harder to make change. Mm Mm-hmm. And so by kind of stripping away, you know, those old limiting beliefs and then working with clients on what would you rather believe about your health, you know, like maybe you've been told you have this diagnosis and you've heard the doctor say the words, this is, you know, chronic, it's never going to go away. Do you really want to believe that? Is that the program you want to run in the background all the time? Or do you want to believe something else? Like your body is capable of healing and you are healing every day.
0: I love it. I, I thank you for sharing that because I do believe majority people do want to create change. They do want to feel differently. I think it comes in that they don't know if it's possible. Like, I think they do want to, but it's this piece of when we've held on to those limiting beliefs for our whole life, it doesn't feel possible.
1: Right. And, and there's also a piece that kind of uncovered for me this year. I was actually at an event with Bruce Lipton and he was speaking. And I love that man. He's like one of my favorite people. And this young man asked this question and he said, I've done all of this work and I'm a positive person. And, you know, like, why hasn't this changed for me? Mm -hmm. And Bruce said something to him about, well, what happened in the first seven years of your life? What were you programmed to believe about health, healing doctors? And it was like this light bulb moment for me because I was like, holy crap, like I consciously believe, you know, that anything is possible. Our bodies are always healing. But then I was like, I don't know, what was I programmed with in those first seven years? And I went back and I made myself actually my own hypnosis recording to guide myself in. And it was fascinating cuz i i mean i'm not a person with like really early childhood memories so i was like i don't know what's going to come up but i i float back into these memories and their memories of like being a little kid going to the doctor and hearing mom say you know it's okay he's going to make you feel better he's he's going to fix you and i was like holy moly like i need to delete that <laughs> that stuff
0: let's upgrade upgrade i love the upgrade that's a piece that for anybody who's listening like as, as Lynn is explaining it, our subconscious mind remembers, like it actually remembers everything. We just don't consciously remember it. Right. And if you can get into a space where you can support, talk to, and speak with the subconscious mind, you actually can travel back and be, and I mean, honestly, I would have never thought that was possible, but I do understand it. And I have done it firsthand. And you go back and start to recognize that, wait, wait, what? Like, this is what I believe. And this is what I heard. And I think that where we can get stuck is the triggers and the things that we have in our life every day. Now we think that's the issue, but majority of the time it's going back to something that from the age of seven and under that we don't even realize we've picked up right. that we've then made it our own and our own belief and we've held on to it. So yes, thank you for sharing that. So as you started to do that, then that helps to support you in the work that you continue to do for yourself.
1: Right. For myself. And then I was like, Oh, this is definitely a piece that, you know, working with clients too, we need to go in and, and have their subconscious show us what, what did you experience in those first seven years? What are your beliefs around doctors and health and who's responsible? Cause I, I again, consciously, I'm like, I'm the driver, right? I'm the one that's in charge. But there's the, you know, the little girl there who maybe, you know, one or two years old, even who's like, oh, the doctor, you go, he makes you feel better. <laughs> he fixes it. He fixes it. Yep. He, mm-hmm. He's the one. He gives you the medicine or, you know, whatever it is, and he fixes you. It's like, no, I don't really want that belief anymore. I don't think that that's a, a helpful,
0: helpful thing
1: to give my power to somebody else.
0: So, and I couldn't agree more as a person who is listening then, if you want to change that belief, what did you have to do to create long lasting change in that belief?
1: Yeah, so kind of when I use hypnosis, I listen to usually the recording repeatedly for a number of weeks, and and it has, um, I I for myself either I create the empowering beliefs or with clients I help them because sometimes it can be hard if you're not used to creating your new beliefs. You're like, yeah. what do I tell my subconscious mind? <laughs> I don't know. So we create those new beliefs and then we listen to them on repeat. And, you know, when we're in that hypnotic state, that's when the subconscious is most accessible. But we also really want to talk about like thinking that in your daily life too. So maybe you have like a negative thought of like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm never going to get better or, you know, why is this just lingering on and on? Then you want to stop and kind of pattern interrupt there and, and
0: say, no, like, what do I want to believe here instead? Mm Hmm. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that because we can create a brand new empowering belief, and it does take repetition. Like it's that's the one thing I've created a number of different hypnosis. I've done some for myself as well, and I, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, I'm either doing a hypnosis or subliminal. Sometimes one or two a day, and it's when Mm -hmm. it just helps to support that. And people will say, do I really have to do this every day? And I'm like, well, do you think every day? Because if you think every day, <laughs> like if you think every day, you, you do want to support yourself to have the most empowering thoughts possible.
1: Right. I love that. I love that you say that. I'm going to maybe borrow that from you for borrow. some people that are, are resistant. It's like, why do I have to listen to it? You know, and sometimes I say it's great if you can listen twice a day, you know, yeah. I mean, it, the investment that you make in that is so it pays off so much you know it may be like half an hour of your day total and yet it it's
0: going to change your life it really yeah. will. It really will. And again, if, if you would have told me this years ago that it would have been this kind of work that I would be so committed to, I, I would have never seen it in a million years. That's not what I thought, but I do understand the power of it. And it is so important as we are always continually like supporting ourselves and healing ourselves and, you know, working through some of those limitations that we all have and we hold on to, even if we don't want to.
1: Yep. Yep. It's it and it can be challenging, you know, like I've been doing this work for a long time. And when I found those beliefs, I was like, oh wow, this is this is quite interesting to like discover this little treasure trove of stuff I don't want anymore.
0: Stuff I don't want and stuff I didn't even know was mine. I was like, I didn't even know that I was thinking those thoughts. And it's right. And that's the piece of it, right? Where we've spent years repeating them, years repeating them. So they're very cemented. Wow. So this is how you support your clients now in this work. I mean, this is, this is fascinating to me and I think it's incredibly important work. And who would you say your ideal client is?
1: Yeah, I work a lot with women with different chronic health issues. So I mentioned at the beginning, kind of autoimmune. That feels like a specialty that just kind of picked me. Like I started just attracting lots of women with autoimmune. Um, so that's definitely one area. Um, a lot of I work with trauma as well, like healing trauma at a, in a different way. And some people have a, a therapist they're also working with because that feels helpful to them. And some people it's like, I don't want to go to talk therapy. I want to, I know I want to address it differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. And how can people connect with you or where is the best place to find you and connect?
1: Yeah. So a couple of places, you can check out my website, which is heartfirehealingllc.com. And there's a couple free gifts there too. If you poke around, there's like a hypnosis on becoming your healthiest self, which I highly recommend. If you want to check out hypnosis, get yourself a copy of that. And then I also um, hang out on Instagram at Heartfire Healing, and I have a, um, a new Facebook community for women that I'm building as well. So um, if you're interested, it's called Sisters on the Journey to More Vibrant Health.
0: Yeah, yeah. who's not on that journey? I love that.
1: (laughs) I had a different name for it. And then I was like, this name doesn't feel right. And then I did that. And people are like, Oh, yeah, I like this name better. Yeah. No, I I love
0: the name. I love the name because I mean, health is one of my absolute top values because it without it, it, I've been in cases where I, I, my health was extremely challenged. And so I think because if you've ever been in that situation, you can see the value of health. And regardless of how someone else is not taking care of themselves or abusing themselves or however you want to see it, it doesn't matter because I think that sometimes we don't even realize how we're feeling unless we've been in a situation where our health has been low.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I, the idea of the community too is to have like-minded people on the journey because it can feel isolating sometimes, especially if you're surrounded by some people who are a little bit more kind of, Oh, you know, I have this health problem and this is all that they're going to do for it and I'll just take the pills and, you know, that's as good as it can get and it's like if you're not in that space, you know, you want to find people who resonate more with you and feel like, "No, I'm I'm taking charge here. I want to keep improving my health and find the things that serve me
0: in that journey." Beautiful. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for everything that you have shared, because this is a really powerful episode in really helping others to see how they can take their own health into their own hands and continue to be the advocate for themselves to find answers. Sometimes it can take years, unfortunately, until Mm -hmm. you find the right practitioner or the right person. But when you look back at it, let me ask you this question it took you almost three years to get a different referral to be able to find an answer. Do you think you would have continued on that path of searching for an answer? Or do you think you would have been in a situation of saying, I guess this is what my health is?
1: I think I would have kept seeking an answer because I think I knew deep in my gut, like that inner knowing something wasn't right. Like I didn't know what it was, but it was like this, you know, the math on this doesn't add up. Like no. The equation is not balanced. And, you know, I think they just kept looking at it with their blinders on. Well, this is the diagnosis and therefore this medication is working. Well, it was working because it was treating something that wasn't ever there in the first place, you know, but then they're ignoring everything else mm-hmm. that, that wasn't,
0: you know, being addressed by that. Yeah. I think that's just, so for anybody who's listening, please know that don't be intimidated by continually searching for answers because I often say like, if no one's going to be your advocate. No one's going to show up and be your advocate for you. You have to be that person. And it's, I've had to be the advocate many times in my own life to the point where I know I used to frustrate my doctor to a T. And <laughs> when I ended up having back surgery, she, I, when I went in to get my stitches out, I'll never forget. She looked at me and she's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I next time you come in, I promise not to push this aside. And I was like, thank you because I, it took me a lot of time to be an advocate to finally recognize like how bad it was. So it's, you know, just continue to push on that for yourself because no one's going to do that for you.
1: No, and it's quite a journey, you know, and for me, like looking back in my 20s, like, you know, I wasn't the same person I am now. Like, you know, so I would just kind of like, okay, I guess that's the way it is. Like the me of now would have been like, hell no, you're going to give me a referral to someone else.
0: (laughs) Yeah, It takes (laughs) time to grow into that person, though. It's not something we do in our 20s, typically, right?
1: Right. But uh, that, that girl, you know, from my twenties, as she definitely informs, you know, how I am now. And now, you know, I don't hesitate to fire a doctor I don't like if I, if I have to be in that system for some reason, Mm -hmm. like, nope, you're not listening. And you're obviously a person who doesn't want to listen. Mm -hmm. we're done. Like
0: I'll find somebody else. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Thank you for sharing that. And I know that that will inspire somebody who is listening to recognize that they can take their own health into their own hands. Yes. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I've loved this conversation, Lynn. I would love to ask you one more question and it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for?
1: I think the lesson I'm most grateful for would be learning how to listen to my body and that took a long time. I mean, even as a kid, I had a lot of unusual health things, and I think I was constantly frustrated by, like, why is this happening? Why do I get these horrible migraines that send me to the hospital? And I had a very negative relationship with my body, and I think it took going through all that I went through and the nightmare that it was to kind of help me wake up and realize my body wasn't the enemy. It was doing the best it could. The whole time. Uh, maybe I wasn't always being its best friend, which I think is common, really, because we really don't common. really know, know how to do that, yep. but you know, to change that relationship.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you did. Honestly, there's so much value here for anybody who is in a position of wanting to make their health like the priority or to be the advocate for themselves
1: wonderful. I'm so glad that we've talked and I really loved our conversation as well.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.